It's in the game. I'm now joined by Raymond Santiago, producer for Sirius XM NFL and 98.7 ESPN in New York. Ray, what's up, my man? How you doing? How's it going, Randy? Nice to be on, man. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how big of a Tom Brady fan you are. I know you're a big Cowboy fan, but um, your man just <laughs> won his fifth championship ring last night in, in, in a game that I think we all can agree that we have no idea what happened. But um, before we get into what happened last night, are you anywhere near a Tom Brady fan? Are you a Tom Brady hater, or you just you know respect what he does? Uh, you know what? You know what? Um. I saw something this morning that kind of captured it perfectly. You ever saw the movie Anchorman? I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, if you ever saw towards the end of the movie when Vince Vaughn says to him, like, deep down in my stomach with every fiber of my being, I hate you, but <laughs> God damn it, do I respect you. <laughs> like, I think that's how most of America who's, who's not Patriot fans feel about Tom Brady. And I think most people in New York probably feel that way, especially about Tom Brady. Me, I, I don't hate the guy. It, it, it is kind of annoying to see a guy constantly win and win and win and break records the way he does. He, he's 39 years old. He keeps doing it. But, dude, you got to give him his props, man. And, and last night, he's, he was already in that position, but last night he solidified his place as the GOAT. So if I asked you today, do, do fans hate Tom Brady more or LeBron James more? Which which one do you think is winning in that aspect? Ooh, you know what though? I kind of think LeBron will still win in that aspect, um, because he's kind of developed this reputation that's kind of hard to get rid of. And what's going on with him? You know, I need a playmaker. I need a playmaker. All this stuff going on in Cleveland right now it's not really helping his cause. But people do love to hate LeBron, so I think LeBron does edge out Brady a bit more. I think a lot of I think a lot of Giants fans were happy that the Patriots won. Where the fact that now they 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 can claim that Eli Manning is still the only quarterback right. to beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't know how long they're gonna hold on to that, but I think at some point they gotta drop that. <laughs> oh, man, man, I could not agree with you more on this because this is the way I think about it, man. Why you have to make it about you? First of all, you know whether or not the Patriots won last night you still have two of these historic performances in the Super Bowl that can never be taken away, right. one of which is unprecedented. You, you beat an 18-0 and team. You stop them from perfection. It doesn't matter what happens from this point. That's history on your side. Basically. And second of all, I mean, the, the thing, here's the thing. I like Eli Manning, bro. He's a cool dude. He's a good quarterback. He's borderline Hall of Famer in my eyes. But they give him too much credit for those Super Bowls. A lot of quarterbacks could beat Tom Brady – if they only have to score 17 points in a football game, it's a lot easier to do. You know, give, give credit to that Giants pass rush. Give it to Justin Tuck, to Michael Strahan, O.C. Umanora, JPP, all those guys who have come through. You know, if, if you stop Tom Brady and you hold him to 17 or less, you have an excellent chance to win. Eli did, Eli did a great job on those last-minute comeback drives to win the games. But, come on, let's, it's not all about Eli, man. And it's not all about you. Let them enjoy the moment, you know? So if Eli was to continue his career and, and win no more uh, Super Bowls but had the two under his belt against the Patriots, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? I think he is, um, if for no other reason than those two Super Bowls. But his numbers, if you actually look at his numbers, his, his longevity has stacked up really well. And I think he's already 
top 10 in yards, um, creeping up there in touchdowns. Obviously, he's got a bunch of games under his belt because his best ability is availability. This dude just doesn't get hurt. He's made of titanium or something. And so, you know, the best way to, to compile those Hall of Fame statistics is to be out on the field. And Eli's always out there. And, he, and even though compared to his peers year to year, his stats don't really jump out at you, the fact that he's out there and he's consistently getting, you know, 20, 25 touchdowns a year, 4,000, 4,500 yards a year, uh, and generally throws more touchdowns than he does interceptions, he generally is going to be in good shape. So I think Eli will be a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure if he's first ballot, but he also has a lot of friends in the media and kind of like what you're seeing with T.O. in the opposite direction right now, mm. they can help or hurt you, your relationship in the media when it comes to the Hall of Fame vote. Man, that that Hall of Fame, T.O. I, I have no idea why he's not in it today or even last year. I know, you know, with the thing with Philly and San Fran mm-hmm. and the Cowboys. I mean, at the end of the day, man, the the guy has numbers that that you just can't ignore. And, and for him to not get in in two he was, consecutive he retired, years, he he retired number two to Jerry Rice in most categories. You know, it's like, what, what do you what do you want the guy to do? He's he's an all time great. All-time great first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's not in the Hall of Fame because of personal vendettas. Well, you, you know, this is uh, like the baseball argument, the revenge of the nerds thing. Mm-hmm. Like, because you know, T.O. wasn't wasn't kind to some members of the media, and they hold that hold that against the man. So what? You can't you can't take that away. That's not what the Hall of Fame is about. It's not about who who is a reporter's friend or who or who is a jerk to a reporter. Dude, dude is one of the all-time greats. Lawrence Taylor was not a good guy, but he got in on the first ballot because he was that damn good a player. T.O. should have been, too. And he's going to get in eventually because this, this, this damn is going to break. But him, him waiting is ridiculous. And, and, and listen, I'm not T.O.'s biggest fan. I, he, he annoyed me more times than, than, he, uh, mm-hmm. than he made me cheer. And, and even when he was in Dallas those couple of years, it's like, you know, he made me roll my eyes a lot. But you can't deny his greatness. He's great. Now, but do you think that him going on Twitter and saying the Hall of Fame is a flawed process kind of, um, you know, puts that puts himself back even more years of trying to get in? Uh, I personally wouldn't have done that, but I don't think it, it has an effect on it one way or the other. You know, hey, listen, good for him for calling out the flawed process. It is flawed. Mm-hmm. If if somebody if somebody like him is not in the Hall of Fame, how, how can you say it's anything but flawed? That's, you know, that's not right, and it's something that has to be corrected. You're, are you a great player, or are you not a great player? That's the criteria. Not not if you were a good guy or a nice guy or you were mean to some reporters. Who cares about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what's more weirder, not getting in because of your behavior in the, in the NFL Hall of Fame or how they do it in baseball where if you get 75% of the votes, you can't get in. And if, if you don't get 5% of the vote the first time, you're not – I mean, you're off the ballot. I, I have no idea which one is more weirder. Yeah, they're both kind of weird to me in a way because <laughs> you, you can – you know, I generally think a great player will get more than the 5%. So it's um, – in baseball, so generally it's not so bad a thing because then you're just not wasting votes on certain players. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, somebody was recently dropped off the ballot, and I can't think of it, but, but, but it seems kind of petty that he, was, that he was dropped off the ballot and he'll never get a chance. And I can't, and I'm, I apologize because I can't remember the name of the guy, but it was somebody I thought maybe he wasn't a, you know, a surefire Hall of Famer, 
but he was somebody that deserved consideration. I, could, I, I, I wish I could, I could think be, of the name. But I could be wrong. I really I, think I, there was something. I could be wrong, but I think it's Posada. Yeah, I mean, Posada's right there. Probably, probably not a Hall of Famer, but uh, definitely one of the best catchers we saw in the, in the last few generations, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, last night, Super Bowl 51, uh, the Patriots won their, won their fifth championship. I want to ask you, because you're a big-time football fan, I, I, I want to get your process as, as you're watching this game, first half, second half, like me, I, I'm thinking 28-3. This game is over. At least make it a little more competitive. But everything started to change. You at home watching this, are you more like, man, this game is over, or you can't count them out, or like, holy, holy shit, they're gonna come back and, and, <laughs> and win this game? Man, man, I, I, I was running the game at all play because um, at halftime, I'm thinking like, damn, nobody saw this coming. Um, I mean, the Patriots are going to have to do something here in the first half. I'm not, I'm not necessarily counting them out. When the Falcons scored that touchdown in the third quarter, it's 28-3. I'm thinking, okay, this is over. Like, this, right. is, this, is, this is turning into like the, um, the Seahawks-Broncos Super Bowl where they just came out and just flat out punched them in the mouth and they never recovered. Like, this is dominant. And um, even then, when the Patriots came back and drove after that, like um, this guy Grady Jarrett was just like blowing up the middle of the offensive line. And I tweeted, like, right at that time, I was like, okay, now Brady's feeling the Giants effect where that pass rush up the middle is just destroying him, and mm-hmm. he's rattled. And so at that point, I said, okay, game over. They're not going to win this game. Uh, they forced a couple three and outs. They scored rather quick. Uh, after that touchdown, I said, okay, maybe, maybe they can make this thing competitive. They scored again, and that was when I was going – Oh, oh shit! This <laughs> this might this might be something. And then um, when the Falcons were getting set to punt with about uh, three twenty four left, I think it was the time, and they ended up the Patriots ended up driving from their own ten. But I literally when they had that ball, I had zero doubt that they were going to march down the field and they were going to score and they were going to tie the game. I mean, just no doubt. Man, that. That Edelman catch, uh, I know a lot of Giant, <laughs> Giant fans are like, man, David Tyree catch got some competition, but just in the the overall context of the timing of the game, how how desperate mm-hmm. um, that catch was, is three different Falcons in the same play, and, and Edelman just had the, the 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 peace of mind to to just concentrate on catching that ball. Um, is it up there with the Tyree catch? Is it better, or do you feel like? Tyree still has the edge in that aspect? Uh, in, in terms of significance, Tyree's was, was bigger because, as we discussed before, it's, you know, it's history. You right. know, that, that catch stopped history, basically. Um, but Edelman's catch, I mean, to me was even more ridiculous because he's got three guys right there. I thought that ball hit the floor when, when he grabbed that. I thought, there's no way he caught that. Mm-hmm. And, and when they gave it to him, my eyes was about popped out of my skull. I lo- and, and then you, you look at the replay, and sure enough, you know, they made the right call, which is we've been killing the NFL all season. Like, they, they've been blowing these, they've been blowing these, and they actually, and they actually made it. I, I still, I, I've been watching it for the last 12 or so hours, and I just can't wrap my head around how how that ball didn't hit the floor. And, and I guess having those two guys under him kind of helped him because it gave him some leverage and he had the one hand. Yeah. So I think it was more ridiculous of a catch, if, if that can be used. 
but Tyree's catch had a bigger impact, if that makes sense. Now, was last night more of Brady, Belichick, and the Patriots showing their, their dominance of how they came back, you know, persevering, or the fact that the Atlanta Falcons, still young, kind of kind of just, you know, not, not going too full throttle in the second half and kind of got caught up in the moment. Do you think Atlanta lost it, or did the Patriots just took it away from them? Not not to cop out a little bit, but I think it was a little of both. You got to give the Patriots credit for their greatness and and they're consistent mm-hmm. and they just you know they never looked like they wavered even when things got that low. I mean, you know, so many teams that would just go into a shell when they're down by that much. Right. And at the same time, um, Kyle Shanahan, I don't know what the hell he was thinking because they they stopped running the ball. And it's not like they weren't effective. I mean, and the, and the Falcons, the reason their offense is successful is because, uh, like Dallas, but to a better extent because they have a better quarterback and also two running backs. But like Dallas, they're able to control the game however they want with, with any aspect. They can throw the ball. They can run the ball. They can pound it down your throat. They can run around outside. They can throw it to a whole bunch of different receivers that, that get involved. And when you're up 21-3, you're thinking, okay, uh, we can start just grinding this thing down because on the other side of that coin, the Patriots' run defense is not that good. So you just keep pounding them and wearing them down, and eventually you're you're just gonna a you'll milk the clock, but b you'll 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 run that defense out. And I just kept waiting for it to come, and it just never came. So Kyle Shanahan, you know, he he's clearly going to get the 49ers head coaching job. Everyone knows that. Mm. I. If, if I'm San Francisco, I'm kind of wondering about that a little bit. Like, uh, you know, s- certain coaches, you 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 you'd hear that comment and you think you know, maybe he's got to uh, he's got to get a guy to, who who can work on managing the clock for him or something like that. Because uh, again, I just it kind of got lost in how epic that comeback was. But I I don't think the Falcons' offense did a good job of just controlling the game once they got to that point. Now I didn't I didn't grow up watching Joe Montana. I know that the the history, the stats, four and in the Super Bowl, multiple time MVP, Super Bowl uh, MVP. Uh, so basically, me seeing Tom Brady in his prime rookie or that, uh, I've seen his, his his entire career from beginning to now. So it's easier for me to say Tom Brady is the goat. And there's been conversations for many years, is Tom Brady the GOAT or still Joe Montana? Because he is 4 now. now Brady has five rings compared to Bradshaw and Joe Montana with four. But there is Spygate, Deflategate. People just don't like the guy, haters. Um, can we put to rest that conversation that Tom Brady is the GOAT? Or do, are, are, are you or anybody else, uh, fans should feel like, you know what? That was pretty good, but he's still five and two in the big game compared to Joe Montana being four and zero. And the fact that Joe Montana played with more bona fide Hall of Famers than Tom Brady ever did. Uh, yeah, I mean, all of that, all of that makes sense. And I'm going to bring it back to the LeBron thing. You know, a lot of people kill LeBron and say, "Well, Jordan was six and zero in the finals. LeBron is what three and three? I think, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it it's in Brady's case. It's it's the same sort of situation. Joe Montana was four and zero in Super Bowls, but that means he only got to four Super Bowls. You know, Joe Montana was not undefeated in the playoffs, and neither was Tom Brady. But Tom Brady, whether the field was easier for him, whether it was easier winning the AFC East or whatever, Tom Brady got to the Super Bowl seven times. 
or was it eight? Because they they lose, they lost to the Giants. They lost to uh, the Giants twice, and those were the two, right? Yes, uh, seven times. So yeah, he's, but, he's five yeah, and two. Yeah, so seven times. Yeah. So I mean, you can teams. Most teams don't get to the Super Bowl seven times. I think I think the Steelers and the Cowboys are the only teams that have been to the Super Bowl more than Tom Brady. So you can't you can't deny that kind of greatness. And also, like you said. He didn't really play with the Jerry Rice. That being said, Montana won his first two Super Bowls before Rice ever showed up. And you say you didn't see him growing up, and I kind of did. But the thing with Montana is I saw him towards the tail end of his career in San Francisco, and he had a, and he had a bunch of injuries to deal with. Steve Young came up, took his job, right. and then he ended up having those couple years in Kansas City. So I saw Joe Montana play but I didn't see him when he was Joe Montana, when he was that dude. All I have to go on are the videos and the stories and, you know, of his greatness. But all that being said, even if you, even if you didn't watch either guy play, just, I mean, how could you not say Brady is greatness just based on his accomplishments, uh, Super Bowl wise, his accomplishments, statistics wise, and based on what he's done it with offensively. I mean, where, where are these other Hall of Famers in New England? Like he had a couple of, good guys early on in his career when the defense was doing most of the work, but from like 2005 on, it's just been Brady's been carrying that team. Like that, that defense is, it's all about the scheme. Like they'll, they'll make plays when they have to, but I mean, Brady's been that team and he, he's, he's made guys like Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, mm-hmm. Kevin Falk, uh, LeGarrette Blount, James White, all these guys, he's made these guys into household names. And they excel in New England. They don't do much elsewhere. So, I mean, you got to give the guy props. Yeah, I, I think the only bona fide Hall of Famers that you could say they, that uh, play with with with, a, with Tom would be Randy Moss, a Gronk. Right. Gronk is going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I mean, who who else? You know, it, it's tough. I mean, he didn't even have an offensive lineman that of that quality blocking for him. And um, you know, Randy, he had him for a couple of years. That one year of 2007, he he was setting touchdown records with Randy Moss. Like it, yeah. it wasn't fair, him and Randy Moss together. And I still don't understand how the Giants were able to slow that down. But they, but hey, credit to them, they did. So, in in sports, I know there are tons of dynasties: San Antonio, Chicago, the Lakers, Celtics. Uh, you know, women's UConn. I, I can go on and on and on. Forty uh, ers but. The Patriots are, are climbing up that ladder. I, maybe we just caught up in the moment, but like, where would you rank the Patriots dynasty? Is, is it top five, top ten? Where would you rank their dynasty? Is this in all of sports? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, I think you'd have to go with the, like the Laker dynasty as it's between Lakers and Celtics between right. between those two for for which are the greatest because they were just dominant. In so many eras, and the Yankees too. Um, the Yankees too. The Yankees as well. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I would I would go with the Yankees as one all time because they had so many different eras of just dominance, where they were winning World Series title after World Series title after World Series title. Uh, obviously, the last string being at the end of the '90s, and they really haven't climbed back up to that spot. Maybe these baby bombers will help us get there. I don't know. Um, yeah, the Lakers and Celtics are there. So the Patriots are definitely top five. You can't you can't forget about the the Canadians and hockey as well. I think they have twenty three Stanley Cups. 
but that's a little different because the league was much smaller for a lot of those for a lot of those years. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely put them top five. Now, in where I would put them in the top five, probably four or five, just based on you know the, the sheer amount of championships all those other teams have won. So you had the Patriots. I mean, in in no order: New England, Yankees, Lakers. Celtics, and you're trying to find that that five. Would uh, would uh, yeah. would Chicago See, Bulls get and, in? And and I and I also know that yeah, you you're gonna say Chicago. Um, there's also football wise, there was also that dominant Green Bay run. I think they had like you know uh, eight or nine championships before they were ever Super Bowls. Mm. But like it's kind of like I'm kind of one of those people who thinks like the league didn't exist before 1960. I mean, it did, but it didn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> I gotta hold that against them, but you know, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's it's a good, good, healthy discussion that I'm not sure that there's a correct answer to, but I don't think there's a wrong answer to it either. Now, how does a team like the the Falcons come back from this? We we saw what happened with the the Panthers last year. They they got to to the to the big game. Mm-hmm. The loss of Denver. They did not make the playoffs this year. Uh, but Atlanta had a twenty-eight to three lead. You lose that, you, you know. You lose the game. Now it's like there's there's no definite that they'll get back there because the, the the NFC is filled with the Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Falcons themselves. Like they lose the game, but mentally, how do you come back for that? How do you come back from that, knowing that the competition is so up there in in the in the uh, NFC? Well, I think uh, what the Panthers have shown you is that nothing is a given in the NFL, especially in the NFC, except for the Patriots themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, ter- in terms of what Atlanta, they- they're a good young team all around. They've got good coaching. They've got solid defense. They've, you know, they're very well balanced. So there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to make some sort of run next year. But like Carolina showed you, anything can happen, and, and that's why – you know, as a Cowboy fan, everyone was trying to tell me after they lost to um, they lost to Green Bay. Oh, well, don't feel bad. They got a bright future. They should be bounced right. And the NFL, man, nothing's a given. Like, you know, exactly. somebody could get hurt. Somebody could have, you know, a slump. Uh, there's only 16 games. So there's so much that can go wrong. And, you know, you, you never want to assume that, ah, they'll just be around next year. I mean, I don't know why there's a Super Bowl hangover for teams that lose. I, I, I just... I'm look. I've I looked at so many angles for it, and I just can't. I just can't answer the question. I mean, it, it, is do they get lazy? Do they do they get uh, discouraged? Are they are they waiting for something to, something to go wrong? I don't know. But I mean, if a team just can find that focus, and it sounds so cliche, but it's if you focus and you and you get back to the task at hand, you have a chance. And in the NFL, that is. That's really the most that you can ask for. Now, uh, you mentioned earlier the fact that you know the AFC is usually a cakewalk for the Patriots uh, compared to the to the NFC. But like, is there a team in the AFC that can really compete with the Patriots? M- maybe, uh, maybe I would have thought the Raiders, if uh, if uh, Carr w- 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 was healthy, could have gave New England a, a run for their money. But a true team in the AFC that can give the Patriots some competition because every year it's always like well somebody from the NFC is is going to be different but you know in the AFC it's going to be New England. 
Well, in the AFC, the team that immediately comes to mind is is Denver. But oh, God. you know they they lack the most important piece, which is a which is a quarterback. Uh, uh, I like what Simeon did this year. Uh, they keep talking about Paxton Lynch, but if if Denver had a quarterback that they knew they could count on week in week out, I I would put them up there as a team that could do that. Oakland is going to be you know they're they're kind of in the same boat as as Atlanta. As a matter of fact, they're almost like the carbon copy. Good young quarterback, although Ryan's much older than Derek Carr. But, you know, uh, balanced receivers, good run game, good offensive line, uh, stud pass rusher on the other side of the football. But they've got to make some improvements to their defense. And I think if Derek Carr is healthy, they are probably the team that's going to most be a challenge for them in, uh, in the next two or three years. And we're, we're, we're coming off the, the biggest 12-month year of, of, of sports where last night, Super Bowl 51, Having a game seven in the in the NBA Finals, you have game seven in the World Series, the the college basketball game with with, with Nova hitting the the game winning shot. Um, yeah. Which which of you? I mean, which of those to you were your favorite to watch? Man, this, I you said it, man. It was this was an amazing year, and um, I just feel like I got caught so so caught up in the moment with all of them. Boy, I got you know what I got to say. I'm not even a Cubs fan, but just watching them win that World Series and the fashion in which which they won it. I mean, the, those last few innings of that game were ridiculous. Um, much like the Super Bowl, you can't again. You can't go wrong with either one. But that Cubs moment was just you know 108 years of suffering coming to an end for that city. Well, the south side of that city, and I should say the north side. I don't know why I said the south side, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, I mean, just. That, that was something really special to see, and I guess that kind of context uh, helps there. But, I mean, all, all of those things were amazing that you mentioned, every single one of them. For me, man, being a, a big LeBron fan, uh, right? him, him <laughs> winning. Absolutely. Yeah, him winning that for Cleveland and, 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 and the fashion that it happened. I know people could say, well, Draymond got suspended and Boca got hurt and all that stuff. But still, they were still down 3-1. And to come back – through the game five with Kyrie, both scoring 40 points, whatever it was, and to win two out of the, the final three games in Golden State. And again, they were chasing history too. So it's yep. like LeBron blocked, you know, Iguodala, and he blocked history at the same time. So, But the Cubs might have the edge because they waited over 100 years for that, for that World Series. So I think overall – being a sports fan, this this entire year w- w- was great, and I, I I have no idea how w- w- you know we're gonna top the the, the remaining championship games. But um, if it's gonna be Golden State and Cleveland again, I don't know how they top last year. It's gonna be round three, and that's gonna you know I, I just feel like yeah we are headed for that collision course, but. but um... Yeah, I, I I've got no idea, man. You you would have to think Golden State would have the edge in that given that they've added Grant and, uh, you know, they seem to be sort of cruising while the Cavs are still struggling with their bench. But, I mean, I, I, I honestly think we're just headed for another epic final. And, and it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see who wins the, who wins the grudge match. Now before, and if LeBron, yeah. I, I, I don't know what, what funny thing LeBron will say when he gets on the mic uh, <laughs> if they were to win that time. Because, man, I'll I tell you, I, I was dying when he did the Cleveland! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, and, and and mostly because 
you know, I'm I'm not a LeBron hater. I wouldn't con- I wouldn't consider myself a guy who loves LeBron. But when when everyone seems to hate the guy, I just kind of like relish in the fact that hey, pe- pe- people are real mad right now, and, and and he's won a championship here in this in this sort of circumstance. So hey, let them be mad. I think it's hilarious. So hey, I, I'd be rooting for LeBron again, no doubt. Hey man, you you just saw what he did to my Knicks during the weekend. So, <laughs> man, <laughs> I gotta watch. I gotta watch every one of these Knicks games, man. I'm actually headed in tonight to to work tonight's game with the Lakers, and I just <laughs> just uh, a feeling of despair, man. Not not even despair, but just like acceptance. This is like, uh, it is what it is. Uh, it's been 16 years now of just mediocrity at best and and hopelessness at worst, and. I don't know, man. I don't know where the light at the end of the tunnel is. So, so you would count yourself as a, as a Nick fan, right? Ab- absolutely, absolutely. And how long have you been have you been a Nick fan for? Uh, since I really started watching basketball, man, which is right around the time when when that Bulls that Bulls dynasty was going on. So mm. you can imagine going to going to school with all those bandwagon Bulls fans and Jordan. That was miserable for me, man. Well, Ray, for me, man, for, for, for me, I picked a real bad time to be a Knicks fan because during that time you were a fan, I was a mm-hmm. Chicago Bull fan. So I was on the bandwagon with Jordan Pippen and oh, all that man. stuff. Yeah, you're damn right. And um and then when they disbanded, I'm like, man, I got I gotta find a team. And that's when they did the uh the Spreewell trade and, and I was a big Spreewell fan. And I'm like, oh maybe I can ride along with this. And they had Houston, Ewing, Camby, all that. And and then so you you you're, you're figuring 1999 till now. And I've seen like what three playoff series. So I picked a hell of a bad time yeah. to be a Knicks fan. Now, you know what? And the funny thing with that is because right at that time you thought that they were going to be in good shape for a long time because. Uh, you know, I, I still believe this to this day. I think that was my freshman year of high school. But, um, you know, if Ewing hadn't blown his Achilles in that Eastern Conference Final, right. I really thought that they could have beaten San Antonio. I really do. Because I, I think he would have been able to neutralize David Robinson a little bit. And Camby versus Tim Duncan would have been a hell of a matchup. But, um, yeah, that, that – so when that happened – I just I thought okay well at least they're in good shape. Camby's going to be the future behind Ewing. Mm-hmm. Sprewell, Houston are going to be uh, you know fire and ice. They're going to be this great combo and and, and Van Gundy's doing great. And then like you know when when Van Gundy quit, everything just seems to like you know just just hit a wall and, right. and it really hasn't been the same since. Oh man, uh, yeah. I mean I, I can't talk about the Knicks all day because I, I get real frustrated. <laughs> Uh, coaching changes and Phil Jackson stuff going on. Mello want to be. Uh, they they want to trade Mello, man. I for you, would it be in their best interest to trade Mello, or do you feel like Mello is you know been the constant professional and he should ride out uh, his career with the Knicks? Uh, I think you said it. Mello has been a consummate professional in all this, and I I just can't wrap my head around why everyone's so mad at him. But um, they are. Yeah. Um, do I think they should trade him? I I think they do, and I think we're inevitably headed down that path. I don't think they should trade him for a bunch of nothing to the Clippers, you know, like getting getting back like Jamal Crawford's contract or something stupid like that. You know, if you're going to trade a player like Carmelo Anthony, who maybe he's not, you know, a top five player anymore, but the guy's still one of the best absolute scorers in the league, and he, and he can really help a team. 
you know, you're not going to trade a player like that for nothing. And I know Phil's logic is just, you know, get rid of him, free up the cap space, and and just, you know, move on. But, I mean, I just, I, it, it's going to really suck if they trade him for like a, a ham sandwich, basically. I, I, I don't want to see that. But I do think that the best, the best route for the Knicks to get some something developed here is to move on. So do you think Melo stays with the Knicks longer than Phil Jackson? No. No, I, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of falling into that uh, Stephen, Stephen A. line of thinking that um, he's not going to be a Knicks by the end of the summer. Oh, man. I mean, I, I am a Melo fan, and if he wants to get that opportunity to win a championship, then go right ahead. But like you said, don't just trade him for nothing because we've seen Phil Jackson trade Shumpert and, 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 and J.R. Smith for really nothing. I'm not saying they're Hall of Famers or whatever, but, but if you're going to trade talent, you got to get some talent back. But you do, I, I don't know what they got in that deal. Even with the the, the Chandler-Ray uh, Felton deal, you get Calderon and Sam Dallin, um, um, Sam Dallenbear, and neither one <laughs> is still with the team. And it's like, all right, Chandler is doing okay in Phoenix, and Ray Felton is the backup point guard with the Clippers for Chris Paul. It's like, all right, where's Sam Dallenbear? Calderon is somewhere with the Lakers. So it's like I think people would feel more comfortable with Phil trading Melo if they had seen a previous resume of the kind of trades he's made. But now he traded Shepard and, and Jay off for nothing. He traded Chandler and Felton really for nothing. So now you want to trade your best player. Like God knows what he might get back. And like you said, there was a report that, would, that they wanted Crawford or, or Austin Rivers or J.J. Redick without even trying to get a Blake Griffin, CP3, or Jordan in the deal. It's like, don't trade your best player, your multiple-time All-Star, and not get something in return just because you don't want him on a team. For all that, you you, you might as well keep him. Yeah, and, and what, what really stings about the the Shumpert-J.R. Smith trade is that, you know, you, you traded him for nothing to Cleveland, and... I think like a week later, Cleveland traded a first-round pick for freaking Timothy Mozgov. <laughs> oh man, yep. <laughs> I mean, that that blast from the past, but I mean, like that 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 made it hurt so much more because it was like, oh well, we couldn't get you know much else for them, and here they go, they trade a first-round for Timothy Mozgov, and it uh, killed me. Killed yeah, me. and and then and then they trade Mike Dunleavy to get Kyle Corbett, who just happened to be maybe the top three shooter in the freaking league. Right. Right. <laughs> so. I mean, it, it, it just feels like part of course, man. And, and, I, and I hate saying about my man because I, I, I do love the Knicks, the the team, mm-hmm. the organization, not so much because moves like this. And it's not just Phil. Like we, well, we we kill Phil, but I mean, it's been 16 years now. Like moves like this have become the norm. Yeah. You know, and, and it all started with that with that stupid Patrick Ewing trade where they basically you know shipped Patrick Ewing off to set to Seattle and got Glenn Rice back. Like Glenn Rice wasn't. He wasn't even that version of Glenn Rice anymore. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, bottom line is I just feel like the Knicks, you know, some franchises have it, you know, happen to be lucky. And I think the Knicks are one of those teams that just can't get lucky, man. Like you said, with, with the Mellow trade, uh, um, you know, Ewing trade back in the day, Ewing missing a freaking finger roll layup, Charles Smith getting blocked multiple times in the, in game five, uh, Ewing getting hurt. In, 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 in Why did you have to tweet that game five, by the way, man? Because was it, it, was, it was a classic game. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was I was really angry that day, man. You know, I'm like so, eight years old, and I, I was really angry. Like, screaming, like, that's not a foul? That's not a foul? No, it wasn't. But, <laughs> but you know what? You know what? You guys got... You guys got one back the following year because you know Scotty Pippen did, did not foul you today. The Scotty Pippen play. <laughs> no way, no way. So, yeah. so I That's guess true. everything pans out. But I think bottom line, the Knicks just haven't been lucky, man. And hopefully one day they do. But whether it's signing the big free agent, or getting that marquee or superstar or trade, uh, one lucky bounce here and there, and no matter no matter what they do, no matter who they sign, no matter what coach they bring, no matter what GM they bring in. It's like, all right, it's it's the same old story, and with Isaiah, with Scott Layden, Donnie Walsh did did a did a pretty good job, and now Phil Jackson. It's like we're just not going anywhere. We're going in the same spot over and over, and you see these, you know, uh, lower market teams like Cleveland, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, just like kind of just do do their own thing, and they're they're winning championships or they're in the playoffs every year. The Knicks the Knicks are always fighting for eighth every year. Well, the thing with that is you have to be able to draft your own sort of superstar. And mm-hmm. we thought we were headed in that direction with Porzingis. Um, we still very well might, might be, you know, he, he could very well be that kind of super, bonafide superstar. But this, this Achilles situation kind of scares me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you start, you start there and you have to change your culture a little bit. And unfortunately, the Knicks have this culture that's very negative. And it's going to, t- it's going to take... A little while to change that and this is not about phil or mellow or anything like that because like we keep saying this has been this has been a constant for a while right but you're not going to attract free agents that if if the situation is you know one of neg- negativity and that goes for you know not only the front office or but but also look, look at look at the fan base and and look at the media i mean we're, we're constantly killing it look, look at what this this place has done to Carmelo Anthony, man. They've been killing him for the last three or four years. Like mm-hmm. this, you know, he, yeah, he did kind of force that trade early, but you know, people are acting like they gave up, uh, the world to get, to get Carmelo. Anthony. You know, they gave up Chandler, the middle Gallinari, Moscow and something like they're nice players, but they're not, you know, they were not anything compared to a Carmelo Anthony. So I think even though they had to make that trade, it was, it was a fine trade to make. And then when he signed, you know, when Phil re-signed him, well, that, you know, Metal didn't drop the contract for himself with a no-trade clause. That was Phil. Mm. And if Phil didn't want him, then he should not have signed him. He should have just let him go. So all these things are not really working in the Knicks' favor. And, you know, for years we, we always heard about when they were trying to clear cap space. Ah, well, everyone will love to come play in the Mecca. LeBron will love to come play here. Chris Paul will love to come play here. And that's, that's not really the case anymore. So I gotta ask you: Do the Knicks make the playoffs this year? Maybe. I mean, I, there's a couple. What are they like? Three games out of the uh, of the eight seed right now. Uh, but, you know, if they, if they make the half, playoffs, like yeah. okay, what 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 good's it gonna be? So they can get swept by Cleveland. All right, man, congratulations. You know, you, you'd almost rather be in the lottery, but they're they're now in the spot where they wouldn't even have a shot to to really be high in the lottery. So you, you, you almost wish that they would hit the tank button. And, you know, it, that, that's why you kind of hope, like, well, if this metal situation is going to get resolved, you hope it gets resolved sooner or later. Yeah. Because, you know, you, 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 you get them in, you sell $15 hot dogs at the garden during <laughs> game, game three and four. There you go. 
basically. <laughs> Before I let you go, man, I, um, I know you're a big time Cowboy fan. I know the Cowboys had a, had a to me a, a great, fantastic year. You may not agree with that, but being thirteen and three, uh, win their division. Uh, everybody thought they were on a, a collision course with the Patriots for the Super Bowl, but um, were you kind of you know how how upset were you watching that game last night, knowing that the Cowboys to you should have been in that game? Well, here's here's the issue with the Cowboys. Um, you know, and and I was telling anyone who would listen that the team I I was scared of in the NFC, we never got the matchup. But the team I was most scared of in the entire NFC was Atlanta because they had a kind of offense that could that could score at will, basically. And Dallas's defense, though they did a, you know they played above their heads this year, and they did a good job of bending, not breaking, and just you know doing just enough to hold to hold teams and slow them down. Alice's defense was a major weakness for them, and, it, and it's been now for about five or six years. This is like going back to those years that, uh, you know, they were missing the playoffs in, in those last games and Tony Romo was getting killed. Like, I've, I've been pointing to that defense for years and years and years, the same way I was pointing to the offensive line for years and years and years until they started drafting guys. So I'm hoping the front office, you know, similar to, to, they did, to how they did with the offensive line, uh, realizes that they have to fix the defense and then they start drafting guys. And you thought that they were on the right path when they drafted uh, Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. And, my God, what a difference Randy Gregory would have made this year if he would have played. But they, the biggest thing they need is they need a guy on the outside who can get after the quarterback the way Demarcus Ware used to and the way that Gregory showed that he could do when he played this year. But you can't count on him. Unfortunately, he, in the words of Stephen A., he can't stay off the weed. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so you've you got to have a guy that you can, that you can count on, not only to, to get after the quarterback, mm-hmm. but to, to stay on the field. And if Dallas had that guy, maybe I'd feel confident for them, for them being able to win a Super Bowl. But until they have that guy and some sort of presence on their defense that can that can slow down a very good offense like a Green Bay or an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady in Cleveland or Matt Ryan in Atlanta, they're still going to be lacking in, in that one area to be a championship-caliber team. But I'll say this, the, the, the situation with Dak Prescott, it completely changed their dynamic because for the past two, three years, it was, it was all about, okay, well, Tony Romo only has how much time left. They've got to try and win a championship before it's too late for Romo because then you're going to start looking for a quarterback again and you're going to be, and, and it's going to be so much worse because you don't have the guy. Now you have Zach Prescott, who looks like he is the guy, and he's going to be the guy for the next 10, 15 years, and that completely changes the dynamic because now you can just build around him and Ezekiel Elliott and just and just go from there. And it, and and not only that, but it saves a lot of money. So they they have a chance to build something special, but you know, as I said before, it's it's not easy in the National Football League to string great years back to back to back unless you're the New England Patriots. Now, do you want Romo back, uh, Romo back on your team, or you feel like he would be better served going somewhere else? You know, um, Rothenberg says this to me all the time. I'm, I'm a Tony Romo apologist, man, and and probably more so than any player who's put on the star in the last 25 years. He's he's become a guy that I root for on a personal level, just just because of his story, where he came from. Nobody undrafted, nobody want him, and if you look at what he's done, man, I, I, I think even though he doesn't have a ring, I think he's a borderline Hall of Fame player just because of what he's done 
in Dallas. Unfortunately, for a lot of years, he was covering up that team's deficiencies just by playing the way he did. I wanted so bad for that guy to win a Super Bowl mm-hmm. with the Cowboys. But um, I, I, it just doesn't look like it's meant to be. And selfishly, I kind of hope that he just retires. But uh, he, he, just, he just seems too competitive for me. So I'm thinking he's going to get released and end up on a team that's a contender and we'll kind of see what, what happens from there. Last one. What are your early, early expectations for the Cowboys next year? Uh, well, I think they, again, I think they're capable of having similar success, but they've got to do something about that defense. They've got to, um, and also, they gotta, they got to work on their game plans for Dak uh, when they play the Giants. You can't afford to uh, let the Giants beat you two times next year. I don't, I don't think you're going to have the same kind of results. But um, if they just focus on fixing that defense a little bit, you know, get a pass rusher, get a, you know, probably going to have to replace a, a corner. Uh, Morris Claiborne, I, I, I like him a lot. He's, he's a heck of a player. He, he's good, but he, he can't stay healthy, so... They, they're probably going to have to replace him at cornerback. I don't know what they're, they're, they're drafting pretty late in the first round this year, but just continue developing. Just keep, keep developing this, this young talent, and they can, they can win 10 or 11 games next year. I don't know what the schedule is going to look like, but, you know, the, the team is similar. And, I mean, Dak Prescott, again, he just, he just opened so many eyes, man, and having Ezekiel Elliott is huge for him, but I, I just think he'll just continue to – make progress next year and uh, he'll show that what he did this year was not a fluke. Well, Raymond, NFL is over. We still got college basketball. We still got the NBA. We still got this thing called baseball coming up uh, in about two months. So, uh, you know, hopefully these uh, other sports will carry on of, of, of what we saw last night. Hey man, it, it was a good year and uh, hopefully it'll continue to be a good year. You get a couple weeks, you know, to watch some college basketball, get ready for baseball and, uh, Get ready to watch the NBA playoffs, and then we do it all over again, you know? So yeah. it'll be a lot of fun. And if, if the Knicks make the playoffs, it'll be a whole lot better. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, like I said, it's like, it's, okay, it's fine to make the playoffs, man, but if you're just going to get embarrassed, what's the fun in that? Oh, man. If I, if I ask you Knicks playoffs this year or Jets playoffs next year, who gets in? Um... Mm, yeah, <laughs> I that's thought tough. so. That's tough, man. The Jets, the Jets have a lot of a lot of holes to fix. Most most importantly, who's going to be who's going to be calling plays on the center because they got they got to get the quarterback situation fixed. You could, but you could say that about any of the last thirty or so years, right? So yeah, got to get a guy, man. They got to get a guy. I don't know if it's going to be Hackenberg or if it's going to be Bryce Petty or if they're going to draft another guy, which they very well could do. But they, they got it. it. It all starts with the quarterback. You got to get that situation resolved. Yeah. Uh, how, how about your guy, Tony Romo, going to, to New York? How about that? Oh, boy, man. I'd, I'd, I'd hate to see him come here because this, this offensive line is uh, it's not very much in good shape. And yeah. it'd, be, it'd be a similar situation to those, to those uh, couple of years in Dallas where he just expected to do everything. And, you know, he, he's going to get killed both on the field and in the media if – if he ended up coming here. So I, I personally, I don't, I, I hope he stays far away from the jets. I really do. Real quick. I saw the, I saw the jets put up a tweet with somebody working out saying, you know, Monday and motivation. You want to know my response to that was <laughs> go ahead. New England already won the AFC East. 
Damn. <laughs> they probably did, though. They probably did. Um, Raymond Santiago, producer for Sirius XM NFL and 98.7 ESPN here in New York. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Thanks again for having me. A lot of fun. All right, man. Take care.